The reading today is John 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you've given me, and I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world, and for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Well, I don't know about you, but uh, I really enjoy Christmas. It's the one time of the year that I can send my Reformers uh, bookshop wish list to everyone in my family. But hey, it's not just about me. Uh, I also love buying gifts for my family, 
And I love seeing their joy when they open them on Christmas morning. And a few weeks ago, I was surfing the internet during Black Friday and Cyber Monday, uh, looking for gifts for my family. And the question came to my mind, well, I know what my wife and my children want for Christmas, but what does Jesus want for Christmas? What does Jesus want for Christmas? Jesus has never sent me his reformer's bookshop wish list. I'd love to buy him a book. And the other day I was doing a little bit of shopping down at our Warm Pond shopping mall and I was watching all the children lining up to uh, sit on Santa's lap and get their picture taken and stuff and there's Levi down there taking photos. And, but you know, I never saw Jesus sitting on Santa's lap. I bet he'd never do that. So who would Jesus ask if he wanted something? Well, he would ask his father. And so the best place to go to find out what Jesus wants for Christmas is to go to the prayers of Jesus where he's asking his father. And this morning I want to go to the longest and the richest prayer that Jesus ever prayed uh, that we have recorded in Scripture, John chapter 17. It's a prayer that Jesus prayed just before he went to the cross. And I want us to go there this morning. I want us to look at just one verse, verse 24, in which Jesus says what he really, really wants. Jesus says, Father, this is what I want. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. I believe this one text gives us incredible, incredible insight into what Jesus really wants this Christmas. So let's just soak ourselves just for a few moments in this text and see if we can understand Jesus just a little better as a result. So just a couple of observations to begin with. Firstly, I want you to notice from this text that Jesus has actually received gifts. It says here right at the beginning of verse 24, if you'll look at it there and you'll see it on the screen. He says, Father, I want those you have given me. So I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but Jesus has actually received gifts. He actually opens gifts, which are for him a delight, and they come from the Father. And we see specifically in this text what or who those gifts are. It's us. We are a gift to Jesus that the Father has given him. Of all the undeserving sinners in the world, and there are billions of them, God has given to Jesus some of them as a gift. And this idea is not just unique to John 17.24, but it's found all over John's gospel on the lips of Jesus. I'll just give two other examples from, from the same prayer. If we go back to verse 2 of the same prayer, we read these words. For you, Father, have granted him, the Son, authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Then we move down a little bit to verse 6, and we read in verses 6 to 9, three times, Jesus says, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me. Well, they are yours. 
So the thought of all of these verses is clearly that of divine predestination. Eternal life is a gift, and it is not given to all indiscriminately. Eternal life is given only to those who have been given to the Son by the Father. Now, most of you in this room are Christians. And if you are a Christian, that is someone who has received Jesus Christ as the crucified, risen, exalted, and glorified Lord of your life, then you are a divine gift to Jesus from the Father. You realize that? You are a gift to Jesus from the Father. You have been given to the Son by the Father with the result that you have been inevitably and irresistibly drawn to Him in conversion, and that you will be powerfully and permanently preserved by Him and in Him until you are raised on the last day when you will be with Him forever in glory. And this is the very point that our text wants to make this morning. Verse 24 again. Jesus says, Father, I want those that you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. And so people who have received Jesus as their Savior by faith alone are this Christmas a gift to Jesus from the Father. And according to verse 24, what does Jesus want with regard to these gifts? Well, he wants them to be with him. I want those you have given me what? To be with me, he says there. Thus to godly hearts, though the enjoyment and the company of wives and husbands and children and friends brings them much comfort this Christmas, Yet by grace, they prefer the company of Jesus Christ above all else. In Psalm 73, 25, the psalmist writes this. He says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Implying that heaven would not be heaven if God were not there. And that in heaven, the psalmist looks primarily not to friends or saints or angels or loved ones, but he looks to God himself. And though the happiness of heaven is described in various ways throughout Scripture, this is preeminent. In Philippians 1, to 23, Paul writes this. He says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. In another place, when Paul is discussing the believer's resurrection, he mentions this as the sum of all happiness. 1 Thessalonians 4.17 Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. To be given to the Lord, to meet the Lord, to be with the Lord, and to be with him forever, this is the sum 
of the believer's happiness. So that's the first thing I want to notice from our text this morning. Jesus has been given gifts. But the second thing I want you to notice is that the text shows that not only has Jesus been given gifts, but that Jesus wants to be given to us as a gift. Not just that we should be given to him as a gift, but that he will be given to us as a gift. He says there, not only do I want them to be with me where I am, he says. If you look at there in verse 24, he goes on to say, I want them what? I want them to see my glory. The glory you have given me. So notice what he says here. He's not actually concerned with himself in these verses. Jesus' deepest desire is not for himself in one sense, but it's actually for us. That we might achieve something. That we might have something. That we might have a gift. He says, look, I don't want them to be with me because I'm lonely. Or I feel left out. Or I'm empty. Or because I need them. Actually, I want them to be with me so that they can see something. So that they can have something. And what is it he wants them to have? Improved health? More wealth, better self-esteem, a better job, more pay, the latest smartphone, 65-inch TV, a new house, more holidays. What is it that Jesus wants us to have this Christmas and beyond? What does he want us to see? Verse 24, I want them to what? I want them to see my glory. My glory. If we are allowed to be with him, then we will have the privilege of seeing his glory. And you see, that's what we really need to see. Jesus knows that that's what we really need in this dreadful, sinful, pitiful, war-torn, hate-filled, self-seeking, God-forsaking, God-hating world in which we live. He knows that more than anything else, we need To see his glory. He knows that the deepest longing of the human heart can never, ever be satisfied by anything that this world has to offer. Jesus knows that there's only one thing that we really, really need. We need to be with him and we need to see his glory. Don't think that God created us to be with him because he is lonely, because he's empty. Because he needs someone to fellowship with. He doesn't. This would be a very strange way of expressing loneliness. I want them to be with me so they can see my glory. In fact, this does not express Jesus' loneliness. It expresses his concern for our longing, not his loneliness. Our craving, not his companionship. Our hunger, not his hankering. He and the Father and the Spirit are profoundly satisfied in the fellowship of the Trinity. Look at what Jesus says, which you there on, we'll highlight it on the screen now, at the end of verse 24. Jesus says, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me, because you loved me. 
before the creation of the world. Do you see that? Jesus and the Father have loved each other, according to this verse, before we even existed. They've had eternal fellowship, eternal love, eternal delight, eternal happiness, eternal satisfaction, eternal togetherness in relationship. It's actually we who are incomplete. It's we who are missing. It's we who need something. We need to be with him, and we need to see his glory. For this is the very thing that we've been created for. Isaiah 43, 6-7 says this. He says, Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. We were created for his glory. The deepest longing of the human heart is to to see and know and love and enjoy the glory of Jesus Christ. And Jesus wants more than anything else this Christmas for us to be with him so that we can experience the very thing that we were created for that we might see his glory. And as a result, experience that deep satisfaction and happiness and fulfillment that we so desperately crave and so sadly seek in the things of this world. And so imagine, just imagine, if we could have this gift. Just imagine if we could understand that he wants to give us this gift this Christmas. I think we'll begin to understand what Jesus really wants for Christmas. So I want us to stop and think about this for a moment. Just consider for a moment, what would it be like to simply be with Jesus and see his glory this Christmas? Would that be enough? Would that be fulfilling? Would that be satisfying? Because that is what Jesus wants this Christmas. And if your affection for Jesus has grown cold, if your heart for him has dried up and shriveled up and just been pushed out by the weariness of all this year has been for you, then I ask you to stop and meditate and ponder and think about these words here. Just before Jesus went to the cross, He said these words, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. And today, and this Christmas, and this new year, that's what Jesus wants for you, to contemplate his glory. So just as we do that, I want to be really specific with you and then really practical. By the glory of Christ, I mean the infinite and eternal beauty and brilliance and brightness and splendor and greatness and value of his person. And so by the glory of Jesus, I mean contemplate his splendor, admire his beauty, think about his greatness, ponder his significance. Think about his value and his worth as a gift to you. 
He wants you to contemplate his value to you. What he's worth to you this Christmas. What he means to you. So let's think about that for a moment. Let's think about his worth. Let's think about his value to us. Let's open him as a present now and just think about him and talk about him and contemplate him just for 10 minutes or so. Let's think about nothing but Jesus and what he means about his glory. And as you think about Jesus this Christmas, as you think about the the baby in the manger, don't just leave him in the manger because he's so much more than that. Think this Christmas, if you really want to be satisfied, think this Christmas about that little baby's triumphs. Think about that little baby's triumphs, past, present, and future, over sin and over death and over hell and over Satan. Let's glory this Christmas in the costly triumph of Christ at the cross. Let's cherish the finished work of Jesus Christ that disarmed Satan, disrobed sin of its power, and took the sting out of death. Let's think about what he has done in his triumphs this Christmas. And how about you talk uh, in your family and with your friends about his authority? Let's think about his authority over heaven and over earth and over all things, all peoples, all nations, all demons, all circumstances, all eventualities, and all so-called contingencies. Think about him who was raised from the dead and seated at God's right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and power and authority and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Ephesians 1, 20 to 21. Let's think about his absolute authority in the universe. Let's think about his power. Let's think about his power to walk on water, to cast out demons, to cleanse lepers, to make the lame to walk, to open the eyes of the blind, to make the deaf hear, to raise the dead. Let's think about that. Let's think about his power over nature, bread and fish, Multiply at his command. Wind, waves, and water do whatever the Lord Jesus tells them to do. Natural laws made by Christ are upheld by Christ, and they do his bidding. The composition of all things was not only created by Christ, but is upheld every moment, moment by moment, throughout the entire universe by the word of his power. Hebrews 1, 3. In him, all things hold together. Colossians 1.17 Jesus Christ defines all reality and gives it form every second of the day. Fatalities, fevers, fish food or fig trees. Anywhere you turn, Christ is the absolute master over all things. Let's think about that. Let's savor that. Let's wonder at the absolute and awesome power of Jesus this Christmas. And then let's think about his providence. Let's consider his providence over the entire natural world, over the affairs of kings and nations and presidents and prime ministers, 
over every aspect of our personal lives, even over the seeming random and chance events of life. Let's consider his sovereign providence, that without which nothing, absolutely nothing happens except what he has willingly and knowingly decreed. Think about the fact that not one hair of your head can fall to the ground without him knowing about it. Think about the fact that not one little bird in the deepest, darkest jungle in Africa can fall to the ground apart from his will. Think about the fact that not one drop of rain can fall to the ground apart from his permission. And then think about his providential care over your life this Christmas. And wonder at it. Marvel at it. Draw comfort from it. How about we think about his knowledge? Think about his knowledge that makes all of the libraries on the face of this planet seem like grade one literacy. Think about his knowledge that makes quantum mechanics look like Dr. Seuss. Think about his knowledge that makes all of the sciences on this earth that merely scratch the surface of this created universe appear as mere ABCs compared to Christ's exhaustive knowledge of this created universe. And even this created universe is but a dewdrop on a blade of grass compared to the vast ocean of knowledge that Jesus has of the being of God. While this universe is finite, God is infinite. Therefore, to know God as Jesus knows God is to have infinite knowledge. Let's bow down and worship Jesus this Christmas. Jesus alone is worthy of our highest admiration. Jesus alone is worthy of our trust. Trust him, admire him, value him, cherish him. For in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Colossians 2.3 then let's talk about his trustworthiness together. Let's talk about that in our families. Let's talk about the fact that he never has and never will break a promise to you. That he is completely trustworthy. That he will never lie. That he is so full of integrity. That he will always do what he said. And he will always fulfill whatever he has promised to you. He is so trustworthy. And this is such a rare quality in our world today. So why don't we savor that? Let's treasure that. We know someone who is absolutely and completely trustworthy. Let's value that. And then let's talk about his patience. As we come to this end of this year, let's talk about his patience to endure people like you and me, year after year after year, of sinfulness of hard-heartedness, of failure, of unbelief, of complaining and grumbling and moaning. Let's marvel with the Apostle Paul at the incredible patience of Jesus. But for that reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. 1 Timothy 1.16 Think this Christmas about the awesome patience of Jesus. 
slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and forgiving every iniquity, transgression, and sin. And that's amazing when we consider his purity. We are so sinful, yet he is so pure. He has never sinned and never will sin. The stamp of God on his perfect life is found in two words, without sin, Hebrews 4.15. Peter describes him as a lamb without blemish or defect, 1 Peter 1.19. The writer of the Hebrews spoke of him as a high priest who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens, Hebrews 7.26. Let's consider the beauty and the perfection of his purity. How about we consider his anguish? Let's talk about the incomparable agonies of Christ. Never before and never since and never ever will there ever be so much suffering. No one ever suffered like this man. Throughout all eternity, we will contemplate the killing of the Son of God. And sing with the angels, worthy is the lamb that was slain, Revelation 5.12. Come and worship with me at the splendor of Christ's sufferings. No one has ever deserved to suffer less, and yet has received such terrible suffering. The only person who has ever did not deserve to suffer, suffered the most. And get this, he did it for you and me. Consider the incomparable sufferings of Christ for you. Marvel at it. Wonder at it. And in relation to his suffering, think about his endurance. To be mocked and beaten, whipped and scourged. To have nails driven through his hands and his feet. And to choose it, to embrace it, to keep there. Instead of pulling off the cross and annihilating everyone with a word. He had at his disposal infinite power and infinite resources to take revenge at any moment in his agony. Do you not think I could call upon my father and he will put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Matthew 26, 53. But he did not do it. When every judicial sentiment in the universe cried out, unjust, Jesus was silent. No one in the history of this planet has ever borne so much injustice with so little vengeance. No one has ever, ever had the right, a greater right to retaliate, but used it less. Instead, he freely chose to join the Father's design in his own suffering and death. And what was that design? To give his life as a ransom for you. Consider his endurance for you. This Christmas, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Think about his endurance for you. And as we think about that, let's talk about his justice. 
Let's think about his justice, which is so incredibly important. When you think about a world that's so full of injustice and corruption and war with child killers, terrorist bombers and warring nations, and where people are wondering who is in control and who gets to have the last word and who gets to have his way at the end. Let's talk about his justice and let's talk about the fact that he will call and settle every account either in hell or on the cross. Let's talk about his justice. And in conjunction with that, we need to think about his wrath. That one of these days, the lamb is going to come forth and stand before the people, and the people are going to cry out to the mountains and the rocks, fall upon us, crush us, and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne, and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Revelation 6, 16 to 17. Think about the power and the justice and the wrath and the severity of the Lamb. And then finally, let's come back to his grace. And let's talk about his grace. That he justifies ungodly sinners. That his love dies for you and me. But God demonstrates his own love for us. In this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8 His death for us was a free and lavish overflow of divine grace and mercy. From start to finish, God saves us, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which he granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. 2 Timothy 1.9 his triumphant mercy and grace is utterly free. Think about his grace this Christmas. Because this, I believe, is what Jesus really, really wants for Christmas. That you worship him. That you adore him. That you turn your eyes and your lives and your hearts and focus them totally on him this Christmas. He wants to take all that is empty, all that is frustrated, all that is tired and confused and sorrowful and misdirected in your life. He wants to take all of that and to focus it on him, to be with him and to see his glory. And in the text before us this morning, Jesus is actually talking about a time in the future where we will join him in heaven. And we will fully see his glory. And we will be with him where he is. Where every longing and every ache and every desire for satisfaction and fulfillment and every panting of our hearts will be satisfied. That day will come. But why let another Christmas go without trying to seek that glory now? The Apostle Paul writes that even now, even now we all with unveiled face, Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into his likeness from one degree of glory to another. So why waste another Christmas? Why let this one central event celebrating his coming to earth be blown on something that will not satisfy? Let's be with Jesus. Let Christmas be about Jesus. And so I wonder if that is your desire right now. 
that you just wish you could just let it all go and just be with Jesus and worship him and just see his beauty and his loveliness and his majesty and his glory and his grace standing there before you and just to embrace that. I wonder if that's what you want now. Because if that's what you want, that's what Jesus really wants this Christmas. So I wonder if we could just take a few moments just to do that. It almost be sinful for us as a church not to take time to be with Jesus. So I wonder for just a moment, if we could just, um, I'm going to pray in a moment, if we just close our eyes and I wonder if we just listen again to the words of our Lord Jesus on that night before he went to the cross. And he said, he prayed these really important last words for the sake of his disciples, for his church. He prayed, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. I want to show them my glory. I want to be the center of their Christmas. I want to be worshipped. Just for this moment, I wonder, in the quietness of this place, let's be with Jesus. Recognize his glory. Maybe take one of those attributes we talked about and just ponder it for a moment. And allow your deepest affections to, right now, to well up for your Lord. And let the reality of his glory and his loveliness and his beauty and his majesty just sink deep into your soul right now. Cry out from the depths of your heart for the presence and the glory of Jesus. Let's just take a few moments to do that. And then I'll pray and then we're going to sing a song of adoration to Jesus. Let's just take a few moments of quietness to to be with Jesus and to ponder him. Jesus, dear Jesus, I pray that you would capture Christmas again in our hearts. Jesus, I pray that this year our lives would be captured by your glory, your beauty, your loveliness, your majesty, and all the forces that would come against that, and that would want to rob you and steal glory for itself. All of that which is idolatrous in our world and in our lives and that would want to take that which is created and give glory to it instead of the creator himself. 
We just want to give that back to you this morning, this Christmas, this new year. Jesus, you alone are worthy of to receive all glory, all honor, all power and praise. You are what our Christmas is all about. You are what our lives are all about. You are the only one worthy for us to give up our lives for. And we just this morning just want to value your worth, your goodness, your grace, your justice, your power, your mercy, your wrath, your knowledge, your goodness. Jesus, we come to you, and we come to you in worship. Amen. As we prepare to leave this place of meeting and go into whatever this week means for us, I want us to hear now God's word of blessing from Ephesians 6.23. Paul writes, Peace be to you, brothers and sisters, and love with faith from God the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all, and I love this, who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Let us tell Jesus, shall we, how much we love him as we stand together and join our voices in singing a well-known Christian hymn, uh, Christmas hymn, that calls us to adoring worship. O come, all ye faithful. Let's stand together and worship our Lord Jesus.